0: Well, welcome again to Phoenix Bible Church. As I said earlier, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. Really glad that you have joined us, whether you're new or you've been with us for a while. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, you know we're going through the book of Philippians. We'll be in the book of Philippians till March and just kind of grinding away, going passage by passage, verse by verse, seeing what God has for us in this book. And we're talking about this idea of joy and this idea of joy beyond circumstances, joy beyond doubt, joy beyond today, suffering. We're going to talk about this idea of suffering and how we can have a joy that goes even beyond suffering. And as we think about joy and as we think about suffering in our life, all of us have experienced suffering at some point or the other. Like if I were to ask you, I won't now, I'm not later, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you were experiencing suffering currently, like a lot of you would raise your hand. If I were to ask you, raise your hand if you've ever experienced suffering in the past, like a lot of you would, would throw your hand up. If I were to ask you, how are you going to experience suffering in the future? Are you going to experience suffering in the future? All of you should raise your hand. Because at some point, in some season, in some part of life, you'll all experience suffering, if you haven't already. So suffering is something that affects all of us. And when I think about suffering, and when I read about it in articles, and books, and even listen to other pastors, a lot of times I hear why we suffer. Like, I hear why we suffer from an apologetic viewpoint. Like, here's the reasons why we suffer. Here's how God allows suffering. Here's how that all makes sense. And it's a really difficult question. We should take seminars and books and professors and pastors to answer that question. But oftentimes, we don't talk about the how of suffering. Like, how do we endure it? How do we prepare for it? Especially in a place like this where we, we suffer, but it's not as extravagant as places like Africa and other countries where we think, well, they really suffer. And so it doesn't come as clear to us, as direct to us, as what does it look like to suffer well? And not just to get through it, but what does it look like to have joy that goes beyond that suffering? How does that happen? And so we're going to ask that question and answer it, hopefully, as we look at the passage. Philippians 1, we're going to start in verse 27. So if you have a Bible, grab it. If you don't, there should be one right in front of you. You can pull up one on your phone. We want you to go to Philippians verse 27. And as you turn there, let me pray as we get into God's Word. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time. I thank you for a few moments. God, we can look at your Word and look at a difficult subject of suffering. God, I know that these men and women that are represented in this room, that they have experienced suffering, that they are going through suffering right now or they will at some point in their lives. And God, we pray that in the midst of that reality that you would bring your truth. That's what we believe scripture is, that it speaks truth into our reality. It's not platitudes, it's not trite statements, that it's real life. And so we go to scripture now to look at that, to learn from that. I pray that you would open up our eyes to see that, That you would help our minds to be attentive, to learn from this, and you would help our hearts be receptive to your word, even now. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, look at the verse. We're going to jump right in this morning. Verse 27, chapter 1 of Philippians. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So Paul starts talking about this worthy life. What's interesting is this phrase, let your manner of life be worthy, is literally in the Greek, one word. Like it's all one word, and it centers on this idea of behaving as citizens. And so you have to know a little background to know why Paul would use that language, because he uses it intentionally to behave as citizens of the gospel, So Paul writes this letter to the Philippians. They're in the city of Philippi, the colony of Philippi. And the colony of Philippi was a Roman colony. Despite the fact that they weren't anywhere near Rome, they were given this title, this status of being a Roman colony. And that would have been a very big privilege for these people to have. They would have been very proud of their colony, of their city, of their heritage. That would have made them very proud. They would have walked a little bit differently because they were Philippians. Okay? That's hard for us to understand in a place like Phoenix. Like, I haven't been in Phoenix forever, but as I talked to some of you, and, I, and some of you know our story, but we kind of ended up here out of some unique circumstances, and I, and I say, like, listen, Phoenix wasn't the place we necessarily dreamed of. It wasn't like when I was 10, I was just like, I've always wanted to go to Phoenix. It wasn't when I, when I got married, we were just like, God, please, provide a way to go to Phoenix. Uh, it wasn't that we didn't want to go. Right? It, just, it wasn't our dream, it wasn't something we thought about all the time or prayed for all the time earlier on in life. But God, through a, a crazy amount of circumstances, brought us to Phoenix, and we're glad to be here. And what I say is, it's, it's not that, it's not that we dream to be here, it's not all those things, it's not the, the romantic story, but we feel like we're supposed to be here. Like, we feel like we're supposed to be in Phoenix. And as I talk to some of you, you, you say, well, I don't really know how I ended up at Phoenix, it almost sounds like you just bumped into it. Like somehow you just arrived in Phoenix, and you don't know how, but you're here, and you say things like, nobody ever dreams of Phoenix. Like nobody ever thinks they're going to stay here forever. It's kind of like you're just passing through in Phoenix. So we, we may not be able to relate to this quite as much. We have the Super Bowl going on, so Phoenix is getting some good pub. It's fun to be a Phoenician right now. Yeah, give it up for Phoenix. Come on, Phoenix needs some love. So we can relate a little bit, but it's still hard. But if you're from a place like Texas, it's not quite as hard. Uh, And that's where I grew up. I grew up in in Texas, and I don't know if I really had this pride, but definitely everybody else did. And you even have phrases like, everything's bigger in Texas. Like, if you really want barbecue, you go to Texas. Like, the great nation of Texas. Have you heard that? These are people in Texas. It's real life. They're proud of where they live. They're proud of where they're from. They're proud of the characteristics that make them a Texan. Right? They just show their buckle belt. Just, <laughs> just walk around, just so you can see it. They want you to know they're, they're Texan. Right? I was at a, a concert in college. and um, It was a rock concert, so not country. So try to imagine. Hard rock concert. Um, and the concert started off with the lead singer's sings out, doesn't preface it with with anything. He sings out, The stars at night are big and bright. And the whole auditorium says, Deep in the heart of Texas. (laughs) Just very loudly and proudly. And they didn't have to be set up for that. They just knew. Because there's pride if you live in a place like Texas. This is what the Philippians would have felt as a Roman colony there's a pride that comes with that. There's an honor that comes with that. And so Paul knows that. And so he, isn't the Bible amazing? He specifically says, behave as citizens. Like he relates to their pride of their city, to the honor that they have for their city. And he says, behave as citizens like you would for Philippi, but so much more. Because Philippi is going to go away. Like it did. Philippi is temporary. Philippi is a city. It's going to fluctuate. Behave as citizens of the gospel. Verse 27, behave as citizens, live in a manner worthy of the gospel, not your city. Behave in a manner worthy of the gospel, honor him. And what's interesting is you think about this idea of honoring Jesus, behaving as citizens, living a worthy life of Jesus, honoring him. Like it's really relatable if you think about it if you have kids. Like, if you were to honor me, if you were to respect me, what could you do? I I can tell you, you can honor and respect my kids. Like, as you think about how to appreciate your pastor, like, just so you know, the way you can appreciate me is to love on my kids. Some of you do this, and and, and it's amazing, and it's encouraging to me and my wife as you try to take care of our kids, as you offer free babysitting for our kids. All are welcome. Um... (laughs) We appreciate that. It's a way that honors us because you honor our kids. Now, if you were to come up to me and say, Tim, I really like you. Um, I really respect you. And I want to hang out. I want to be bros. Like, I want to get together. I want to get together with you. Like, I think there might be a a lasting friendship here. But your kids, I can't stand them. I mean, your two-year-old, I mean, that little boy, that face, I mean, I just can't stand to look at it. I mean, that that, that's your old little boy. I mean, get that little guy out of here. I mean, I want to talk to you. I want to be rose with you. I want to hang out with you. But that little guy, get him out of here. What am I going to say to that? Well, I guess you're right. He sucks. (laughs) No, because there's no separation between me and my kids. If you want to honor me, you honor my kids. If you want to hang out with me, you hang out with my kids. If you want to do life with me, you do life with my kids. There's no separation, even when they're difficult. So how weird is it? How off is it that we come in a place like this, and we raise our hands, and we celebrate and honor Jesus, but then we're mean to his kids? Or we don't associate with his kids. We live in isolation, we, we celebrate Jesus, we raise our hand, we sing loud, we read our Bible, we honor Jesus. But we're mean to his kids. We don't associate with his kids. How off is that? How weird is that? You see, as Paul begins to talk about living in a manner worthy of Christ, it's all played out in community. And this is what's great about going through a book of the Bible. This is why we do that, just so you know. is because I didn't contrive this. I didn't pick a book that would just happen to talk about community and relationships. But yet, every week, that's what we hit on. And guess what? The next week, that's what we're going to hit on. Philippians 2 talks all about that. So as we look at the Bible, we see relationships Community are vital in the Christian life. They're vital in the church. In fact, in this verse, we see that as you live a life man- worthy of the manner of Jesus Christ, as you behave of citizens worthy of Jesus Christ, that you do so in community. And we see that as the verses continue. Look at the second part of verse 27. It says this, So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving Side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So, if you look at this passage, you see these two phrases standing and striving. Look at the passage standing how? Firm, in one spirit, in one mind. There's unity. As you're not standing by yourself. You're standing firm with others in unity. The second thing he says is striving. And again, it's not a striving by yourself, right? It's a striving side by side with other people. It's the idea that this life that honors Jesus is played out in relationships. And it makes sense if you think about it. If you look at your life, as you begin to honor Jesus, and especially through suffering, as you begin to honor Jesus in your life, If you think about your life, most often the times in your life where you did life with other people are the times in your life where you felt like you were close to Jesus more than ever before. Just think about those times in college. We were just like, man, I was known. I knew other people. We did life together. I had an accountability group. We went on mission trips together. And you think, man, that time. Those were the glory days. That was really when I honored Christ. You think about maybe further on in your life with your marriage. You think, like when I was engaging my spouse, when we read scripture together, when we shared the gospel with other people together, that was when, man, things were really hitting on all cylinders in my relationship with Christ. All of us, the pinnacle of our relationship with Christ always occurs together. You don't ever hear the testimony of, I was all by myself. For days and days and weeks and weeks and months. And I just, I just knew Jesus better than ever. I was living for him better than ever. You don't hear that testimony. It's always in the context of a church, of a relationship, of a marriage, of a friendship. Because that's where God enables and empowers us to grow closer to him, to know him, to love him, to connect with him, to honor him. It's in the context of community. And we see that first with this idea of standing Firm. It's this idea literally of your feet being planted to offer resistance. That you only have the opportunity to stand if you stand together. Do you see that? Do you see that? Like some of you have been a Christian for a long time. But if you're honest, you're not standing firm, you're falling over. Because you're alone. And your lust, your depression, your insecurity, your jealousy is ripping you apart. And you're in a cycle of that. And you think by yourself, you think, I can do this. I just need more time. I just need to read a little bit more scripture. I just need to learn a few more spiritual disciplines. And eventually, I'll kill that lust. Eventually, that depression will go away. Eventually, that jealousy will decrease. You've been a Christian for a long time, but if you're honest, those sins in your life are ripping you apart because you're all by yourself. And some of you may push back against this and say, well, Tim, David fought Goliath alone, right? Slingshot, rock, got him. He was by himself. But if you read the rest of the story, you would know that in life and in battle, David needed other people. You can survive alone for a day, for a week, maybe a month. But when discouragement hits, when suffering hits, when sin hits in your life and a cycle of sin hits in your life, and it gets foggy and it gets distorted, you can't make it by yourself. Like some of you have tried. Like some of you have come home after a hard day or a hard season and maybe you're in the midst of some of those sins we talked about and you just get some Oreos and a glass of milk and you just put on a movie. And it makes you feel better for a little while. But then you wake up in the morning, the milk's all spilled out over the floor, you feel awful because you ate double-stuffed Oreos. It didn't fix the problem. And you're still alone and you're still in that cycle of sin. You can fight a sin, you can do things by yourself For a little while. But when suffering hits, real life suffering, when things get distorted, when things get foggy, like we see out there today, when things get foggy, what? It's harder to see. Paul Tripp talks about that the the person who's most influential in your life is you. Because the person that speaks the most into your life is you. That's scary. That's scary if we know ourselves. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. That's your heart. That's my heart. The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. That's scary if you think about it. Because if we're speaking to ourselves the most, especially in those times of suffering, especially in those times of sin, and our heart is deceitful, then I mean, our responses are deceitful our next steps are deceitful those times where you say well I can do this on my own just ignore it those times where you even say I just need to read a little bit more and know a little bit more that's deceitfulness in your heart we need other people we need us we need community we need together we need a standing firm in one spirit in one mind that's why we have community groups that's when we have the relationships that we want you to get in in community groups that meet throughout the week. That's why we don't just come on Sundays and just leave. Listen, as you think about Phoenix Bible Church, especially if you're new and you wonder, like, what's the end game? Like, What are you guys shooting for? We want you to be in a group. We call them community groups. They meet at houses throughout the week, different areas of the valley, different time. You can find one that works for you. We have a, a court board that shows you where all the groups are that has emails to send to those people, we'll help you, we'll email you, call you, meet with you, I'll do that myself, to get you in a group. Ultimately, we want you, at the end of the day, to be honoring Jesus in life with others, in relationships with others. Now, as I look across this room, a lot of you are in community groups. So we can't just stop there and assume that this is happening. A lot of you are in community groups already. And a lot of you have friends. Listen, I don't assume that none of you are connected to other people. We just talked before the service. A lot of you are hanging out, laughing together, doing life with one another. That happens in our church. A lot of you are friends. I know that. But I don't know that a lot of us have these type of friends that stand firm in one mind, in one spirit. Even if you're in a group you have to initiate those kind of relationships. You have to begin to take steps to stand firm. It doesn't just happen automatically. And a lot of us think, who can do that for me? Like maybe even right now, you're thinking of those people in your community, group. like I would love if they stood firm with me. I love if they asked me about my life and even my sin. And you're waiting for that to happen. You need to know that it's not gonna just happen. That it takes initiation from you. It takes initiation on your part, even if you're in that group, to step up and just share something about your life. To go beyond the grandmas and the tests and the busyness at work. I remember when I was in college in an accountability group and we would go around and talk about things we needed to pray for. And it would literally be like this, like, my grandma's sick and I got a test. My aunt's sick, and I got a test this week, and my life's really busy right now. And so much so that eventually you're just like, all right, listen, everybody's grandma's sick. Everybody's got a test, and everybody's busy at work. Let's just pray. Like, at some point in your community group, you need to go beyond that, right? You need to begin to share about the lust. Like, you need to begin to share about your marriage. You need to begin to share about your jealousy. You need to begin to share about your envy, about your self-righteousness. Like At some point in that group, you need to take initiative and talk about that. And listen, you don't have to share all the details on day one. You don't have to share all the details with everybody you know. But you need to find a couple godly men and women, ideally in that group, and begin to share your life with them. If you don't feel like you can talk about it in that group, you need to take them out to lunch. You need to get coffee with them. You need to initiate. You can't always think, who is going to help me stand firm? You need to say, how can I stand firm with others? What step do I need to take? What step is that for you? For some of you, it's to just join a community group, to sign up and trust God with the outcome. For some of you, it's going that next step in your group, taking somebody out to lunch, getting coffee with somebody, sharing while you're actually in your group. What's stopping you from doing that? Listen, I, like, I don't know anybody who's done a bang-up job in the Christian life by themselves. It doesn't exist. You honoring Christ is doing so with other people. They're not separated. Just like as you honor me, you honor my kids. You do life with my kids. There's no separation, especially in the midst of suffering. This is how we have joy beyond suffering, as we do life with one another. We're in community with one another. That's why our third value, core value as a church, is community focused. Because we know this doesn't just happen. You don't stumble into community. It takes work. It takes time. It takes courage. And that's what Paul talks about as we keep going. Verse uh, 29, he says that you're not frightened by your opponents. That as you suffer, as you do life with one another, as you stand firm with one another, that you're not frightened. There's a courage, there's a confidence not only for your opponents but for all the things in your life as you begin to stand firm and strive side by side with one another. There's a confidence. There's a courage. All the fears that you have about what other people will think of you, what's going to happen to you, that as you begin to do life with one another that honors Christ, you get courage, you get confidence. You're not frightened anymore. Because You're going to a greater goal, and you're doing that with other people. There's standing firm, and then there's striving side by side. If you think about striving side by side in your life, there's a greater goal. Literally, this striving side by side is an idea of teamwork as in an athletic event. We have an athletic event going on today. I don't know if you've heard about it, the Super Bowl. Seahawks, Patriots, some jerseys represented here, I think. Uh, all you guys, right there. You, you, you did the best for all of us. Um, but as a big game today. If you know anything about the game, and some of you do because it's here in our city, both of these teams have incredible teamwork. Like this striving side-by-side, this literally, this idea of an athletic event, both these teams demonstrate this. If you think about the players on the Seahawks, their top three receivers went undrafted. They have a quarterback who's like 5'10". We would almost see eye to eye. Like, it's not the superstars that you would think. The players on the Patriots, two out of the receivers were drafted late in in the rounds of the draft. One of them went undrafted as well. Tom Brady, the superstar quarterback of the Patriots, went undrafted. Now he's deflating balls, apparently. (laughs) But listen, he's doing his job. He's working side by side as a team. Everybody's doing their part on the Patriots. Everybody's doing their part on the Seahawks, and they're the two teams in the Super Bowl. Isn't that amazing? Everybody's doing their part. Listen, it's the same way in the Christian life. You strive not alone. You strive side by side. You do your part. You work as a team, as in an athletic event. You're there for one another. You lock arms with one another. You don't compete with one another. You're side by side. You see that imagery? You're side by side. You're looking over at the person next to you, and you're running the same race, doing your part for the team. And listen, I've seen this happen in good ways and in bad ways. I've seen successes and failures even in my own life. I've seen people be there for one another in those moments of sin and in those moments of suffering, and then I've seen that not happen. Like, there was a time where I was hanging out with a group of pastors. And um, we were talking about different things, and we got to the end, and we kind of started to share personal things about our lives. And one of the guys said, hey, listen, you guys can pray for me because I'm going to a hotel this weekend by myself uh, for a business trip. And, you know, I've had some struggles with lust previously in my life, and I need you guys to hold me accountable. And I just want to let you know that. And there was an awkward silence for at least like the next 30 seconds. This is a room of pastors. And eventually somebody broke the silence with like a joke or something like that. And, uh, and I, I was in the room, so it's on, it's on me as well. And uh, Somebody broke the, the silence with a joke. And then at one point somebody just said, yeah, you better not do that. We're going to get you if you do. Like, you better not. And then we moved on to the next task. The guy went to the hotel. Uh, Everything was fine. He came back, and I just felt convicted. So I went up to him at church the next Sunday, and I just said, dude, you need to know that we failed you. Like that night, in that group, we failed you because I didn't play my part. It's not about anybody else. I can't put the blame on the other pastors. I didn't play my part. I didn't strive side by side with you. When you needed me, I bailed. I didn't play my part. He forgave me, and honestly, that was helpful for us as pastors. We began to share things in life with one another. So we needed that point of realizing listen, we have to do this ourselves if we're going to call others to this. We have to do it ourselves. We need to have that conversation. It doesn't need to be awkward. We need to talk about those things. We need to play our part where we say, like, how can I help? You want me to text you? You want me to call you? Like, can we help with the TV in your room? Like, put some modifications on that? How can we help you? And then, you know what? When you do get back, we're going to ask you about that. Because we love you. We're striving side by side together for the sake of the gospel. We're in this together. We're going to play our part together. And then I've also seen good examples where this happened and it was life transforming. When I was a pastor in Austin, there was a guy that I met at church one Sunday who his whole life had fallen apart. Like his marriage was falling apart, his kids were estranged estranged, and didn't want to have anything to do with them. His job, he was barely hanging in. And he would come to church, he would sit in the back, and then he would exit early. And he did so for a few months. And eventually, I... Went to the guy, initiated with the guy, and said, hey, let's go get lunch together. I want to hear your story. I want to get to know you better. And so he said yes. And so we went to get lunch together, and we started to talk about his life and his background and how he ended up essentially all alone with all these struggles in his life. And we began to talk about that more and more and pray together, and eventually he said this. He said, you know, I've been doing things alone, by myself, my way, for quite some time. And I don't know what needs to change, but something needs to change. I want to do it differently. And so we began to meet together, go through a book together, read the Bible together. He began to come to church. And I'd love to say to you in this story that the next week, the next month, that it all resonated with him, that he figured it all out. But he didn't. He still suffered. He still went through a season of suffering. But he kept showing up every once in a while, And then something clicked even more. The Holy Spirit in his life compelled him to jump into a community group. We kept meeting with one another. And he began to address his baggage, address his suffering, to stand firm with one another, to strive side by side with one another. And God began to transform this guy's life. I love looking back and seeing that guy, seeing pictures on Facebook, talking to him through text every once in a while because in that same church, he went from standing alone to standing together. He went from striving by himself to striving side by side. He's on staff part time at that church. He is everywhere all the time. Like, as I talk to my friends still at that church, that guy is at every event. That guy is always showing up to his group. He leads a group. That guy is there serving every morning on a Sunday. He's connected. He's doing life with other people. His relationships have changed. Like he's doing okay in his relationships. This doesn't mean everything's perfect, but he's doing okay in his relationships. He had let his body physically deteriorate. Now he he looks great. He's gotten healthy. He's on track to honor Jesus physically, emotionally, spiritually. And it all started in community. It all began to play out in relationships. You see, Purity comes through community. Liberty comes in community. Mission, for the sake of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel, verse 27, happens in community. Like, it all plays out in community. Churches don't die from outside attacks. Like, I know Westboro Baptist is here in our city today. You hear about them everywhere. I don't know how many people they have to do that and what kind of budget. But somehow they make it around to all these churches and they're here today, one of our churches, and I think downtown for the Super Bowl and all those things, protesting. I've never heard of one of these churches collapsing because of Westboro Baptist. Have you? Like, it never happens. You don't hear of churches dying because of outside of attacks. Churches don't start out dead. They don't die because of outside attacks. You don't hear our church as we start. We're not a dead church. Like We're not just like, yeah. I guess we'll start a church. Seems like a good idea. I don't have anything else to do, so might as well. That's not how churches start. They don't start dead. They start with passion because church planning is hard. They start with excitement. And they don't go on to die because of a Westboro Baptist. I remember when I was in Portland, our church in Portland, the neighborhood didn't like us too much. And they began to, once a month probably, throw eggs at our doors. Throw eggs at our doors. A few months later, they took that to another level. They began to throw urine at our doors. And they didn't just come in the middle of the night and pee on the doors. A group of guys got together, and they saved up their urine in a bucket. And then usually right before Sunday, they would come, and they would dump it through the doors. You now we know that? <laughs> because there was a lot of urine. <laughs> like it went through the doors, into the lobby, and the whole church reeked. The whole church reeked as people were coming in, and it was a a decent-sized church. A lot of people were coming in, and it smells like urine. People were attacking us from the outside. Listen, that church is still there, and it's doing fine. Now, do we have to call a cleaning service every once in a while? Yeah. Put up some scentsies? Yeah. Some scented candles? Yeah. We had to make it smell better. We had to clean that up. But the church is still there. The church didn't die. Churches don't start dead. Churches don't die because of outside of text. you know how churches die? It's when a handful of people internally, when they begin to forget about striving side by side, standing firm in one mind, in one spirit, it's when they begin to forget that and they go their own way. And that handful of people will say things like, you know, I, I like the preacher at my old church. I mean, he used to do this. He was really good at illustrations. He would break down scripture this way. I mean, I mean, he's okay, but It'd be nice if he did a little bit of this. It happens when we say things like, well, the worship's great, but if we could just sing a little bit more hymns, if we could just go away from hymns, if we could just sing this style of music, if they could just sing louder, if they could not sing too loud. And we think, why is that person in leadership? I mean, have you have seen what he does at his job? Have you seen the way he interacts with his employees? Why is he in leadership and I'm not? We begin to ask those questions, and division begins to take place, and a church begins to slowly die. That's how churches die. They forget how to strive side by side for the sake of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel, to further the gospel. They forget the greater goal, and they go by themselves. Listen, as we suffer individually, as we suffer as a church for the sake of the gospel, we need one another. We need to strive side by side, like even when it's hard, even when we suffer. That's how we have joy. That's how we have joy beyond suffering is that we stick together, that we see the primary goal for the faith and the sake of the gospel, that we see that and we strive together. And listen, that's happened as we've started a church. It can't happen any other way. So what's happened here? As we started this church, we had a really quick timeline to do that, and people began to raise their hand and say, listen, what do you need help with? I can drive a truck. We'll probably need that. What do you need help with? I'm an accountant. I can help you guys stay legal. We'll definitely need that. What do you need help with? I'm an encourager. I can greet people. We'll absolutely need that. And people began to come together. This band that you see every every Sunday... They don't get paid. Like, this isn't their job. They just raise their hand and say, listen, I can play guitar. I can play the keyboard. I can sing. Let's get a rotation of you that can do that. And they give their time to it. You guys have been a part of striving side by side together as a church. You know what's beautiful about that? Is that as you begin to experience suffering in your personal life, as our church goes through suffering in the future, we will be able to endure that together because we'll have a foundation together. We'll have a community together. When you go through sin in your life, you're not on your own. We can do that together. We can talk about it together. We can be vulnerable together. We can talk about principles to put in your life, rhythms in your life, routines in your life, to change about your life, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of Christ, you can begin to overcome that sin, you can begin to overcome that struggle. That's the kind of foundation we want to lay as a church, that we can have a joy beyond suffering. It's not a a happy, giggle, smiley joy. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. But it is a joy that sustains us. It is a peace that calms us like nothing else can because we have one another. Do you have that in your life? Do you have that in your life? In the Old Testament, you see a beautiful picture of this. Exodus chapter 17, you see Moses in a battle. The Israelites are in a battle. And for whatever reason, God planned it this way, prepped Moses this way, that if he would stand up on a rock and hold up his staff, hold it up high in the air, that they would begin to win the battle. And they did. Like as long as Moses was standing up, holding his staff really high, they were winning the battle. But this battle went on for a long time. like It went on all day. And Moses' arms began to get tired. And so a few guys came around him. And they put a stone under him so he could sit down, so he could get some relief. They stood firm together. They put a stone under him to help him out. And so he could hold up the staff. But then the day continues, and he gets tired. And even the stone doesn't help. And so a few guys get around him, and they help lift his arms up. They help him. They literally grab his arms and help him lift him, his arms up, hold up that staff, and they win the battle. What a beautiful picture of what it means to stand firm together, to strive side by side together for the sake of the gospel. That literally when you can't stand because the suffering is too great, people stand with you. That literally when you can't stand, people say, hey, why don't you sit right here? We're going to do this together. When your arms get so tired that people lift them up for you. That when you can't do things by yourself, people do them with you and for you. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the grace of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you, individually. That you would have that so that you can endure suffering and not just endure it, but do it with joy. Are you in that kind of relationship? And I would encourage you, if you're not, to step into that today. To come up here when we do post-service prayer and start that relationship, to sign up for a community group, to this week in your community group, just say, man, I'm tired of living by myself. I don't know what that looks like, but I want to share my life with you. Maybe it needs to happen at a lunch. Maybe you need to take some steps by just getting coffee with somebody. I don't know. But what is that for you today? All of us, listen, all of us, no matter where you are, no matter what you're thinking now, you need to take a step in that direction because we we don't have all this figured out. What step is that for you? Listen, I'm going to ask you to do something that, if you're new, may feel a little bit awkward. Um, Even if you're not new, it may. But I want want you to do this. I want us to take a step collectively in this direction. So I want if if you're suffering in any way, emotional, spiritual, physically, I want you to just raise your hand. That you would have the courage just to raise your hand. It doesn't have to be a huge, huge ordeal. But if you're suffering in any way, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, I would just ask that you raise your hand. You can do that now. You can raise your hand. And if if there are people around you, and there are, that are raising their hands, I would just ask, again, you may have never done this before, and that's okay, just to put your arm out towards that person. If you can reach them, put it on their shoulder. If you can't reach them, just put it in the air, and symbolically, you can take a few minutes to do that. It's fine. Symbolically, that you would put your arms towards these people that are around you that are just saying, listen, I'm suffering right now. And I want us to pray collectively for each other, for these people, and I want us to do that now. You can, you can pray with me, you can pray along with me, uh, whatever you need to do. And let's pray for these people, let's make steps now, even by praying for these people together. Father in heaven, I do pray for the people that specifically are raising their hands and saying, listen, maybe it's small, maybe it's huge, maybe it feels devastating in their life, or maybe it's just a blip on the radar that they can't shake. God, whatever the case may be, I pray that even now that you would bring healing. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would bring healing in the midst of that suffering. For those hands that are raised, the courage that it even takes just to, to raise their hand and say, Listen, things aren't going fantastic for me in my life right now. I need help. I need other people. In my life, God, I pray that this step of even just raising their hands, of people raising their hands toward them, of putting their hands on them, would be a step towards standing firm together, striving side by side together for the faith, for the sake of the gospel, because it's worth it. Because the only way we can live lives that are worthy of the gospel, the only way we can behave as citizens of the gospel, is to do it together. To do it as us, to do it as community. Father, help this be a step toward that. Help this create conversations that happen afterwards of just like, hey, what's going on? Why did you raise your hand? What can I help with tangibly? How can I continue to pray for you? Gotta pray that our church would be a church that tangibly loves one another, that is there for one another for the sake of the gospel, that more people might meet Jesus that are outside of us because of the way we love each other inside this place. Father, help us with that. We need your help. We need your healing even now for these people. We need your strength and your power even now as we respond to you and sing. Father, help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.